This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 20 through 26. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Good morning, First Pres. I'm just glad we could be together this morning and I'm excited for what the Lord has from his word for us. Um, let's just take a moment before we jump in and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do gather here, and Lord, we have many blessings. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, for Lucas, and thank you for the opportunity to see him baptized. And Lord, what a blessing it is to see that happen and be reminded of the way in which you care for us, your children, the way in which you love us and care for our every need. And of course, the greatest way you did that is by providing your own son who came and took care of our sin so that we could be declared righteous, declared innocent, and that ultimately we could live with you in harmony and at peace. And so, Lord, there is much to be thankful for. And, Lord, we should be a very grateful people. And we are, but, Lord, we recognize how easy it is for our eye to turn to the left or to the right and miss all the blessings that you've placed upon us. So, God, we pray this morning that we would be reminded of just how blessed we truly are, that we would be a thankful people, people filled with gratitude who seek to live their lives to honor you. Lord, there are many in our congregation that are struggling and wrestling, and Lord, we pray for them. We pray that your hand would be upon them. We pray that you would use us as your church to, to be your hands and your feet. Lord, that we could send a, a kind word or do a helping favor, Lord, for those in our church as well as in our community, and be mindful that we have been called to be the light around the world, and that, Lord, we would be that light, and that we would be faithful in seeking to share the good news that we we ourselves have been blessed with. God, I pray this morning that you would fill my mouth with your word. I pray, Lord, as always, that I would not say more nor less than you've given me to say, but God, I pray that I'd be faithful to your word. I pray that you would bring about a change in us so that we would be more conformed to your image, that we would love you more, and we would be more faithful to your service. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Truth of the matter is, we all love the underdog story. An underdog is one who faces huge obstacles, but in the end, ends up being victorious. What is it about an underdog story that's so engaging? 
I guess if you really looked at it, it's the idea that there's this serious opposition and they're faced with it and that they have to overcome. In fact, if you look and just take time on your own to, to Google this, the top three underdog movies of all time that are voted on by their fans, first overall is Rocky. It came in 1976. Ironically, in 1984, the number two hit is Karate Kid. And then in 1993, Rudy. If I just mention those names, Rocky, the Karate Kid, or Rudy, all of a sudden you're flooded with smiles, just contentment, because in the end you know the hero wins. There's something about watching those movies, and it's, it's ironic to me that in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s, the top three, each generation had their own kind of overachiever, their, their underdog who comes and wins out. Each of these movies offer an individual whose world looked past them, whose world even mocked them, and yet they overcame. These crowd favorites reveal the story of overcoming insurmountable obstacles. And yet here we are, we're all drawn to them because odds are we've seen most, if not all, of those movies. And we smile because we know that ultimately those movies kind of reach deep down inside of us and seem to satisfy an aspect of hope that we all desire. Because we recognize we hope and we long for overcoming as well. And yet in our text, Jesus wants to set the record straight. Jesus wants us to understand that the greatest underdog story of all time is that of his followers of those who are in Christ, the believers of the gospel. See, what's amazing is the followers of Christ would be the ones that the world would look past, the ones the world would mock. These disciples of Christ are called blessed in our text, even in the face of great opposition. I draw your attention to the very first line, verse 20 of chapter 6. This is what our text says. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said. Jesus' audience was his disciples. And when Jesus is about to speak to clarify what it means to be a true gospel uh, underdog, what it means to be truly overcoming the greatest obstacle of all, he looks in the eyes of his disciples. Now I remind you, these 12 disciples were newly elected. They were newly chosen by Christ. And they were coming down from the mountain. And as they were coming down, Jesus is about to speak. And he looks at them as to say, I'm speaking to you. I'm about to tell you the true blessing of the gospel underdog. But in that moment, if we're honest, our tendency is to look maybe at others. Because if we're honest, we think too highly of ourselves. And you say, no, no, Aaron, I understand there's obstacles in life. And, and that's why I watch those movies is I recognize I have to overcome. I contend that that's why self-help books sell so well. Because ultimately, they acknowledge life is difficult, but the problem is that they always tell you the help you need is within you. And the reason too often we're drawn to those movies is because we identify with the character and we assume if we just do the right things, we too will overcome. 
But Jesus wants to set the record straight. Jesus wants us to know that we ourselves are not the true hero. He is. That Jesus is the one who enables us to overcome all obstacles. That Jesus is the one who fixes everything. Jesus is making eye contact with his disciples because he wants to set the record straight. He wants them to understand who they really are. All the while, the disciples are feeling pretty special. After all, they were just selected to be the twelve. We see their own struggles with pride daily throughout the Gospels as we look at the ministry of Christ. The great debates amongst the the disciples of who is the greatest. Luke chapter 22 testifies where it says, Now there were also a dispute amongst the disciples as to which should be considered the greatest. If that weren't enough, in Luke 9, we're told that the sons of thunder wanted to call down fire from heaven to consume those who were unworthy because they're not like us. Or how about that funny little text in John 20 where John wants the world to know he beat Peter to the tomb. Again and again and again, we see the disciples saying, look at me. I'm important. I matter. All the while, Jesus is looking at them and saying, you truly don't understand what it is to be a gospel underdog. So Jesus wants to set their hopes in the right place. He wants it not to be on their ability but admitting their need. Jesus is setting out to make the gospel crystal clear to his newly chosen 12. He wants them to understand the mission that they're truly sent on is not to glorify themselves, but to point to him. See, Jesus is offering gospel basics. Jesus is offering gospel clarity, and he's doing it by contrasting two views. Those who are blessed with the woes. As we look at our text, we see that those who are blessed are those who understand their need of Christ. And those who are filled with woe are those who are satisfied by the offerings of this life. So church, I ask you, how are your needs forcing you to look to Christ? How are your needs forcing you to look to Christ. If we're honest, 2020 and 2021 have created lots of opportunity for needs to be exposed. But how have those needs forced you to look outside of yourself and to look to Christ? For that is what a true gospel underdog does. Let's look at Jesus' message. Beginning in verse 21, Jesus begins to explain the rhythm at the end of verse 20, in fact, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for, your, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when you are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you when you weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn you, for, name, for, for your name is evil, as account of the Son of Man." Very clearly, Jesus is setting the course for the blessed, and then Jesus goes on to explain the woes. Woe to you who are rich, 
Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when people only speak well of you. Jesus gives us quite a contrast as we look at his clarification of what it truly means to be the gospel underdog. See, according to Jesus' perspective, the blessed are the poor. The blessed are the hungry. The blessed are the weeping. The blessed are the persecuted. This is set against the woe of the rich, the woe of the full, the woe of those who laugh, and the woe of those who are spoken well of. Now, some background information is probably important because you read this and you think, well, this sounds awfully familiar. It should. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew gives a similar account, but his is a little more robust. And one of the things that Luke does is Luke sets directly the contrast between the blessed and the woe. But both give us a list of what it means to truly be a gospel underdog. In Matthew's account, we given details that were not given in Luke. But Luke seems to be pointing us somewhere. Luke seems to be driving us somewhere into this contrast, ultimately to say to the disciples who were newly chosen, which are you? Who are you? Are you blessed? Or will you fully know my woe? There's a commentator. He's a, one of the old dead guys I like to read. His name is J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle says it, I think, best about this passage to kind of help us to recalibrate. He says when we read things like blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the weeping, blessed are the persecuted, our mind goes to earthly things. But he says, we must not for a moment suppose that the mere fact of being poor or being hungry or being sorrowful or hated by man will entitle anyone to lay claim to an interest in Christ's blessing. The poverty here spoken of is a poverty accomplished by grace. The want is a want entailed by faithful adherence to Jesus. The afflictions are the afflictions of the gospel. The persecution is the persecution for the Son of Man's sake. What he's saying is this is about spiritual issues. So let's look at the comparison. The first is blessed are the poor and a woe to the rich. Uh, By all accounts, we think of the poor as being those who do not have. And yet we're told in Matthew's account that the poor will receive the kingdom as their inheritance. See, the poor have a special place in Scripture. We're told in Luke 4 that Jesus came to proclaim the good news to the poor. Jesus was born to poor parents, Joseph and Mary. Jesus was first identified and celebrated by poor shepherds, the outcast. All through Scripture, we see Jesus associating with the poor. Understand that it's the poor who know they need to look outside themselves for help. And this is the good news. The kingdom is for those who are poor in spirit. For those who understand, they cannot save themselves. Those who ultimately recognize they need someone outside of themselves to redeem them, to help them, to save them. So the blessing is for all those who are spiritually poor, those who look for hope outside of themselves. Friends, that's why it should give us great delight to help the homeless. 
Not simply because we feel good about what we've done. And this also should encourage us not to say things like, go get a job, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. For we who've been given so much by the grace of God, we should willingly want to extend that love to others. We see that clearly in that God sent his own son to save sinners. And yet, the rich have their comfort now. See, that's what he's ultimately saying in the comparison. While the poor understand their need of salvation outside themselves, the rich are rich and comfortable in their own efforts. They're comfortable and they're not looking outside of themselves for hope or for pleasure or for joy. That's why Jesus made it clear that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. See, the point is this. We need Christ. We need Christ's blessing. Our hope cannot be found in ourselves. But Jesus continues, Blessed are the hungry. Woe to the full. The hungry are those who who desperately recognize they're poor because being poor produces hunger. But notice, we're told in Matthew 5 that they will be satisfied. They will be satisfied. And ultimately, we recognize that our hunger drives us somewhere. It drives us to a righteousness that's outside of ourselves. That's why the psalmist cries out in Psalm 63, Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Do you, serve, uh, do you thirst for God? Do you ultimately desire and hunger for his righteousness, something outside of yourselves? The good news is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. They will be satisfied in Christ. Our satisfaction comes in the person and the work of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Because everything finds its satisfaction in Jesus. Those who are hungry are satisfied in Christ. But not those who are full. Those who are full are not hungry at all. They're satisfied in their own righteousness, and they just want to be left alone. Here's the point. We all need Christ's righteousness. Either we find our standing in him, or we'll find that ultimately we're in need. The third, Jesus drives us to the fact that blessed are those who weep. Woe to those who laugh now. See, those who are poor and in need, guess what they do? They weep. They recognize their need, they recognize their hunger, and they weep. Spiritually speaking, those who weep for biblical things ultimately hate the things that God hates. They mourn over sin, their sin, and they mourn over the sin of others. Those old Puritans used to pray for the gift of tears. What they meant by that was, God, give us an awareness of our spiritual brokenness. When's the last time we've prayed for that? God, give me an awareness of my spiritual brokenness. God, give me the gift of tears. Help me to hate sin, not just in others, but in myself. That's what it means to truly be one who weeps. And the good news is, to those who weep, 
They will laugh and they will rejoice in comfort later. As Psalm 30 says, in verse 5 at the very end, it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Praise God for the gift of Jesus and the hope that we have that the weeping we experience now is nothing compared to the joy that comes in him. But there are those who laugh now. And ultimately, they will mourn later. See, those who laugh now at sin and make light of injustice, they will have their laughter turned to weeping. Why? Because God will not be mocked. God is the one who sets the agenda of what is right. And we need to be men and women after God's own heart. Our desire should be to love the things he loves and to hate the things he hates. Which means we may weep now as we look at the world and we see sin in the world, but also in ourselves. But we will rejoice in the morning when Christ returns. And that's the joy of the gospel underdog. Finally, Jesus comes to the fourth blessedness. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted. But he goes on to say, woe to those who are well spoken of. Notice this, Jesus says, those who are persecuted on account of the Son of Man, those who suffer for Christ, not because of their own stupidity, but they suffer for Christ. Blessed are those. And notice the good news. Those who suffer for Christ, they receive their great reward in heaven. Just as the faithful prophets of old were rewarded for their faithfulness, and and notice that Luke attaches that example as he mentions the old faithful prophets in verse 23, but he makes clear that there will be joy even in our suffering. So what I say to you is suffer well. Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter 3. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. See, church, remember, those who are well spoken of now by everyone will be judged later, just as the false prophets. Those who deny Christ will be denied by him. Jesus' own words on this are found in Mark 8, verse 38, where he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with holy angels. Church, this is a big deal that we are to be willing to suffer persecution for the name of Christ. Why? Because we are people made after his own desires. We weep for the things he weeps over, and we rejoice in the things he rejoices. The world doesn't understand that. The world laughs at us, rejects us, and turns its face far from us. But church, understand that suffering for Christ Persecution can make us poor. Persecution can make us hungry. Persecution can make us weep. But these earthly realities just push us more deeply into Christ. 
Let me say that again. These earthly realities of hunger and poorness and weeping just push us more deeply into Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that theologian from Germany, has said it this way. He said, suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. You want to know if you're on Christ's side? How does the world receive you? See, suffering is the badge of true discipleship. So church, I ask you, do you need to push, what do you need to push you towards Christ? What needs are there that are, that are affecting you? Are they forcing you to look up or within? Ultimately, our satisfaction will never be found in the world, but only in Jesus. Friends, the application of this is pretty simple. The blessings and the woes are surprising to us because Jesus is blessing those whom the world despises, and yet he's cursing those whom the world highly values. See, the world system and Christ's system are in reverse. You can't make the world happy and be on page with Christ, nor will you be making Christ happy and making the world happy. Jesus makes it clear all true Christians are victorious gospel underdogs. And here's why. The world, like the false prophets of old, looked down on the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the persecuted. But they look up to the rich. They look up to the full. They look up to the happy. They look, to the, look up to the well-spoken of. But those who are truly cursed are those who are self-satisfied, those who are content with their riches, those who are seeking the praises of men. Notice what Abraham said to the rich man. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. It's of eternal value what we do with this mentioning of blessings and woe that Jesus gives us. It forces us all to come to terms with, ultimately, where do we truly stand? See, the gospel underdog is one who's faithful like the prophets of old. One who recognizes their own personal need of Jesus. One who truly is blessed, not in themselves, but in Christ. These are individuals who truly have their mind set on above. As Colossians 3.2 says, whose mind is set on things above rather than here on earth. See, blessed are those who can sing praises knowing that they are truly poor who are outside of God. Blessed are those who are glad when they hunger for Christ's righteousness. Blessed are those who rejoice in their weeping over sin. Blessed are those who counted all joy when they are persecuted for Jesus' sake. In the world's eyes, Jesus' disciples were pitiful because they were needy. But according to Jesus, they were blessed. One day, the curtains will be pulled back and all the glory of God will be revealed. Perfect justice will be administered. The question is, where do you stand? Are you finding your satisfaction in the world now? Or are you hungering for Jesus?
Are you able to say hooray for the blessed gospel underdog? Or do you take joy in the things of physical riches and good times and peer acceptance? May we truly pray for the gift of tears. May we truly seek the face of Christ. For only in Christ is true hope and satisfaction given. Jesus gives a short analogy to the kingdom of heaven in Matthew chapter 13. In verse 45, he says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Friends, I would ask you to think about that parable just for a moment. That in a sense, we're all merchants searching for where we will place the joy of our lives, where we will invest our resources and energy, our time and our money. Where will we place all of who we are and all that we're about? May we be like this merchant who, seeing the great pearl of great price, was willing to sell all he had for the glory of that pearl. And if you've missed it, that pearl is Christ. May Christ be your chief joy. May Christ be your great hope. May you be truly a gospel underdog in seeing that he and he alone is your savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from this text, Lord, I recognize that this is one of those passages that is probably overly familiar to to us in some ways. And yet, God, I pray that we see the the rich spiritual dynamic of this text. That's not simply about being physically poor, that therefore we're blessed. So therefore, if we just go live like a hermit, then somehow we'll have a greater place in the kingdom. But God, that we would truly recognize our poorness in spirit. That we would truly recognize our need, our hungering, our weeping that the persecution of this life would not deter us from that, but actually drive us to Christ. May Christ be that great pearl, and Lord, may we sell all in pursuit of him. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.